Well, I've been excited about this series for months now as I've been preparing and thinking about it, and uh, it's exciting, and I'm glad some of the other guys will be preaching to help with it as well. But hey, before we get to the message this morning, I want to bring you into something that is happening in my life. Uh, the elders uh, have graciously granted to myself and Kathy a sabbatical. Uh, it's a long time coming, so it was a, a gracious gift of them to, to say now's the time, and we're looking forward to it. It'll begin in January and, and go for a couple months, January, February, and March. And the reason uh, for it is, of course, you know the last couple of years have been hard for all of us, and uh, it's taken a toll, and I think I need some extended time of renewal and restoration uh, for my soul, and for a continued healthy, vibrant ministry. And you just need to do some of that. Thank you. So I can't say all that we'll be doing during the sabbatical. Uh, it's not all put together, but I do want to tell you one of the things Kathy and I will be doing is a retreat uh, for pastors and their wives for ministry. So we're looking forward to the counseling that comes through that and the time away with that. And then we'll be putting together some other things as I talk with the elders further about it. But it'll begin in January. Now, some questions come to mind. Uh, why now? You know, we're a little low on staff and uh, we're in light for the future and we're pushing on all these things and, and you start asking, well, why now? And uh, We've been kicking the can down the road for a long time. There's never been a good time. And my last sabbatical was 20 years ago. And uh, it's way too long. And uh, even though I've had spurts of refreshment, uh, it's been just a, a precious gift. So I think we just need to, to go with it. I have incredible confidence in our pastoral council. They are a tremendous group of men that love this church and will carry on everything. And of course, the church isn't built on me. It's built on Jesus Christ as they submit to Jesus Christ. And then Pastor Brad, I just got to just, he's an amazing man to work with. And uh, he's going to be picking up a big share of the load. Uh, just so you know, we'll be bringing in a couple preachers as well, and uh, I'd love to introduce them to you uh, before the sabbatical if I can work that out. Uh, now, sometimes, because of the age that we live in, there's uh, skepticism, like, hey, what's the real reason? Well, I think I gave it to you, but if I come back and my office is locked and there's some boxes out in front of it with my pictures and files that are in the office, well, then there's another reason. <laughs> I think it's, it's pretty straightforward. And uh, well, thank you. Well, thank you. So uh, in two weeks, we're going to have what we call information meetings at Fox Valley. Sometimes people have questions about what's going on in Fox Valley, give us more details. And so that'll be happening on Sunday morning. Everyone's invited. So if you come to the nine o'clock service, you know, you jump in the information meeting at 10.30. If you come to the 10.30, you would jump in at 9. And it's just a time to engage with myself and the elders about what's happening at Fox Valley Church, just to make sure that we're always working on the same page. Uh, one other thing I do want to say. We are in an election season. And I just want to urge everyone 
to vote. One of the great opportunities and privileges we have in this country is to choose leaders. And you know that it's an important time. It's always an important time. So I don't want to cast fear, doubt, or confusion. We need to exercise our rights as citizens of the United States. I know some of us are getting apathetic. We're getting cynical. We're just wanting to pull away. I'm urging you to follow the Word of God on this and exercise your duty, your responsibility as a citizen of the United States. So to help you with that, in the foyer are some um, books or, or some pamphlets that will help you, uh, their voter guides, to help steer you on the issues of the candidates. And uh, so choose wisely, choose spiritually, choose knowing that we're all accountable to the Lord. So, as we get into this message on change, like I said, uh, I've been thinking about this for a long time, and it's about personal change. It, it's about real transformation from, from the heart, right? And, and at the end of every service, we'll say something like this, and you hear it, Jesus, what? Changes everything, right? That's an important statement to us. When we thought about it, when we prayed into it, we recognize that Jesus does change everything. But the goal is to make it more clear for all of us. What exactly do we mean by all of it? If the good news, the gospel means anything, it means change. It means something that God wants to do to transform us into the very image of God. And so the question is, what can we expect? What is God doing? And we all know that change is hard. It's difficult, right? You ever try to change something? You know it's hard. I, I've been this way all my life. I, I wake up. Well, let me just say, you know how some people wake up? They're happy. They're singing. They're chipper. I'm not one of those. And it's been that way. I remember as, as just a little boy, my mom would say, boy, you're grumpy. You know, now it's like, stay away, right? <laughs> Give me some time. And as much as I've wanted to change that, I'm not sure the needle has moved very far. Another area is impatience. I've been impatient, I think, all my life. I remember one of the first times it was called out, and that was decades ago. And as much as I want to change it, and I'd ask you not to talk to Kathy about this, <laughs> impatience is deeply rooted in my soul. And it's hard, right? It doesn't mean I ignore it. It doesn't mean I don't want to change. It doesn't mean I don't keep pressing on it. But it hasn't moved very much, at least as much as I would have liked. And let me just say, uh, some of you don't change either. You're sitting in the same seat every Sunday. You come in those doors, you find your seat, and you're within a row. And most of you, I've seen it happen. If someone's in your seat, you ask them to move. <laughs> we are so resistant to change. It's so hard, right? And if you do, if I said, okay, you're going to shake up the deck next week, right? I know what will happen. You'll just revert back the following week, right? Because it doesn't feel the same. Things just don't seem the same. And this is true of not only your life that you're stuck in your seat, but all of us. Do you know, imagine for a moment going to a doctor and the doctor says to you, hey, I, I've 
I've got some serious, serious news to tell you. You have heart disease. And you need immediate bypass surgery. So your doctor leans into you and say, says, I'm serious. You need to take this seriously. It's interesting. Dr. Edward Miller, who at one point was the CEO of uh, Johns Hopkins Medical Center, he had done studies on this. He said that within two years, 90% of the people revert back to their old patterns of eating and lifestyle. Even though the doctor warns you, you got to get a healthier lifestyle, you got to eat, you got to exercise, you got to get out of these patterns. 90%, study after study, shows that we just trip on back to our old style of living. So, what should we expect from change? At least change that the Bible talks about. Now, without promising too much or expecting too little, I want to tell you that change is possible, even after all I just said. Without promising too much or expecting too little, change is possible. If you have your Bible, would you open with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 to 4. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 to 4. If you're able to stand, could I invite you to stand for the reading of God's Word? The Apostle Paul writes this, 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 to 4. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, on which you have taken your stand. By the gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Father, as we study Your Word this morning, we know that Your Spirit, caused, moved the Apostle Paul to pen these words. These aren't the words of a mere man, but these are the words of a man combined with the work of the Spirit that was moving in such a direction that there was some truth embedded here, some things that we need to know so that we could be the people that you've called us to be. We pray, God, that you would speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may grab a seat. As we look at verse 1, he says, Now, brothers and sisters, what does he want to remind them of? I want to remind you of the gospel. The gospel that he says, I preach to you. So he had come to the city of Corinth, and he just starts preaching this thing called the good news. And they received it. They received it, and this church got planted. It's the gospel. Look what he says, on which you have taken your stand. It's the anchor of life. It's the foundation. It's the way we move and roll in this world if you are a believer. And he makes the statement, he says, by this gospel, you are saved. And of course, the question is, saved from what? Delivered from what? But before I answer that question, let's look a little further at these verses. Verse Three, the second part of it, he says, he says in verse three, he says that Christ, that Christ, he starts the good news out talking about the Christ. 
The Bible brings us into this, right? Because the Bible promised this anointed one. Back in the Old Testament, as you start reading, you begin to see that God promised this anointed one. That's what the word Christ means, this promised Messiah. And God was going to do something. And as the scriptures unfold, we find out more and more about this anointed one, this Christ figure, that he is God and man, fully God and fully man. There, there's two Two natures in one person. It's not two people. Now, how God could do this, only God could do, right? There's not probably two streams of thought and Jesus is fighting off one or the other. They, they come together in a seamless person. He is truly the God-man. And he, and he comes and, and he lives right here in the midst of us. Sinful people, 2,000 years ago. He doesn't blush, he doesn't blink, he doesn't turn away. He just walks right in, it says in John 1, and dwells among his people. Of course, the Jews. And, 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 and he starts speaking to them. And he's telling them about God the Father. And he's telling them how to live. And, and there's listening to, to what he's saying. And so what we begin to see is that there is no gospel without Jesus Christ. There's no gospel. There's no good news. If, if you try to take Jesus out of it, there's no more good news. So the first thing that Paul wants us to know when he says, I want to remind you about the gospel of first importance is Christ. Christ. But look at the next phrase. He says, this Christ died for our sins. The Bible gives us the best explanation for the evil and wickedness in the world. It's one of the big questions, isn't it? Why is there so much evil in the world? Why is it that there is so much hatred in the human heart? Why is it so difficult to change? Well, it's because of sin. And sin came through rebellion, rebellion against God. There was this one man, this one woman, Adam and Eve, and, and, and they rebelled against God. They were treasonous against His kingdom. And when that happened, a darkness came into the world and it flooded the world and it's still here. That darkness caused us to be alienated from God and alienated from each other. That's why there's so much brokenness, not only in our relationship with God, but in our relationship with each other. It's why there's so much pain in family systems. It's why there's so much brokenness between husband and wife. It's why children rebel. It's why families with moms and dads trying to hold these together, why there's single moms and single dads, and all of it is all messed up. And the Bible gives the best explanation for it. It's sin. It's a powerful force of evil that no one could tame. Sin, as it's worked out in our human relationships, is about selfishness. It's about self-centeredness. It's about being absorbed with ourself and the things we want to do. That's what sin does. It just fills us with ourselves so that all we think about is what we want and how we want it. We demand from others. 
We control others. We manipulate others and we hurt others. And the root of all of that is sin. And if you say that you have no sin, the Bible says you're lying. You're lying to yourself, but more importantly, you're lying to God and then you're lying to others as well. See, this is just in us. It's in the human heart. The good news though, the gospel that we're talking about is that Jesus came, stepped in, and it says that He died for our sins to pay the penalty of our sins. Look what it says next. It says not only that the Christ that He died for our sins, but the very next phrase, according to the Scriptures. The Scriptures explain it. The Scriptures lay it out for us. The Scriptures give us a picture of what God is doing. The Christian faith is so amazing because you can study it. It's just like any other historical figure. What would you do if you wanted to study Caesar of the first century, right? What would you do? You would go back and you would look at historical records. You'd look at what people wrote about him and you'd begin to, to piece together what he's like. Well, the same thing is true study the historical figure of Jesus Christ. You do the same thing. You go back and you start reading these documents. In this case, you could read documents called the Bible, but you can go outside the Bible and still read about Jesus. It's an amazing thing how much has been said. These eyewitnesses, but then others that have just reported on him. But here he says the Christ that he's talking about is not just any Christ. It's not the Christ of your imagination. It's not the Messiah that you dream about. It's not the anointed one you think God should have sent. No, what we have, it's the Christ according to the Bible. The authority, the final authority is what God says. So we can go back and read this about the Christ. And, and God just is so amazing. I don't know if you get stunned with this the way I do, but, but I could be laying in my bed and just thinking about what God has done in the world. It'll just stab me wide, wide, wide awake. Just go back to Genesis, right? Genesis chapter 1, chapter 2, God creates the world. He tells us all that He's doing. Then in Genesis 3, we get the rebellion. Adam and Eve rebel. They move in this treasonous way against God and the darkness comes. Then what happens? They run from God. They hide from God. And what do they do? When God comes looking for them, they try to cover themselves up with fig leaves. Now you know, and I know, and God knows, they weren't trying to cover up their bodies. It went way deeper than the physical. How do you know that? Because God steps into the garden and He brings about the first sacrifice. And He kills this animal, gives the garments to Adam and Eve to cover them up. And for people with eyes to see and ears to hear, know that that first sacrifice was pointing forward to the ultimate sacrifice when the perfect lamb would be hung on the cross He died for our sins 
according to the Scripture. So going all the way back to Genesis, it's pointing forward that there would be a perfect sacrifice coming. It, it's, it's an amazing thing. Then look what it says. It, it says that He was raised on the third day. So there's a point in history where He was raised, the resurrection, the greatest miracle in the history of the world, unless we count the incarnation, the God-man, which is still another amazing miracle. Here we have the resurrection. And that's why people debate the resurrection over and over, because if the resurrection didn't happen, you and I are dead in our sins. It's the resurrection on that third day that allows us to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the gospel that we're concerned about. So it's by this gospel that we are saved. We're saved from what? Well, our sin generally. So I want to ask the question, and here it comes. What does the gospel change? Well, first of all, let me say what I mean by personal change. I mean a changed heart. Where my affections are changed. The things that I used to love are going to be pulled away and new loves are put in their place. Not only am I going to have a changed heart or changed affections, my way of thinking is going to be changing. So I used to think one way and now I'm going to begin thinking another way. That's what the gospel does putting it into what we've already said, there was a time in my life when I was absorbed with Tom. That's all that mattered was Tom. Now, I can't eradicate Tom. I still get focused on myself, but he's no longer the anchor that I once was. And I wish I could eradicate more of it. But right now, where I stand after decades of walking with Jesus, Tom has paled in importance and significance in my life, and a whole new way of thinking has changed. And that way of thinking changed quickly. When I was in the University of Illinois, I was pursuing aeronautical engineering. That was my passion. That was the big thing. If you were a little bit older than me or about my age, there was a show that came out, The Six Million Dollar Man, and all these things that were going on. I was like, I want to go in that direction, right? So I'm going down this path, and then all of a sudden, God got a hold of my life, and He started changing my way of thinking, and all of a sudden, I'm on a whole new path, and it was not aeronautical engineering. In fact, I remember the day that everything changed. I was sitting in thermodynamics, and this professor I had was so excited about his work. Now you got to go back in history a little bit, but when we developed the space shuttle, probably some of you remember this, it re-enters the earth atmosphere and something dangerous happened. The tiles on the cone fell off. So my class in thermodynamics, this guy had high security clearance, several PhDs, he's designing glue for the tiles to keep them on for re-entry. Now that is hugely important. It saves lives, it allows the space program to go forward. It's critical. But it was that day that I said, I am not gonna invest my life in developing glue. <laughs> not that I could ever get to that stature, right? But my point was it was a turning time in my life when God started to say, I want you to think differently 
about your life. Change behaviors I'm talking about. So changed affections, changed thinking, changed behaviors, and then finally changed character. So without promising too much or expecting too little, God is at work changing things. So why did God save us? I want to give you the clearest statement that I wrestled with that I think kind of captures it. Why did God save us? It was so that we could enjoy Him forever. And when you are messed up, consumed with yourself, filled with sin, and all the other garbage that comes with it, you can never fully and finally enjoy an intimate God, a relationship with God. So I'm going to give you three areas this morning now how the gospel changes us and what the gospel does. Now, I'm going to give three. You may pick one of them for this week to think about, to meditate upon. Let God stir your heart. Pastor Brad prayed a beautiful prayer earlier. He said, we believe that God's speaking. We believe that the Holy Spirit is speaking. I believe the Holy Spirit is speaking right now. And one of these three areas will touch you and allow you to go deeper with where God wants to go. So here's the first one. Our position with God. The gospel changes our position with God. Christ died for our sins and we are saved. We are delivered from the place where we once were. We were sinners. Sinners. And Christ died for us. You know what's so powerful about that? Is it nowhere in the New Testament, after you trust Christ, are you ever called a sinner? Isn't that amazing? There's one place where Paul says, I'm chief among sinners, but he's probably looking retrospectively, looking back at what Christ had done. Nowhere in the New Testament are you ever called a sinner. You're always called a saint. Someone set apart to God. That's what we're talking about with a position with God. So what we're saying is at one time, the wrath of God, and since we just studied Romans, you know what that's talking about, that the wrath of God is removed. The barrier between us and God, sin, is removed. And the wrath of God is appeased. That's what we mean by being saved. Paul says that we were washed that's another phrase that while we were at one time clothed and covered in darkness and sin, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, he says you were washed, you were sanctified, set apart to God, and you were justified, declared right with God. This is your new position in, in Christ or with God, and we need to think differently as a result. And we need to start loving these truths and let them soak into us we are now children of god that's another thing about our position that we are children of god it says in first john chapter 3 see how great love the father has bestowed on us that we should be called children of god and such we are for this reason the world does not know us because it did not know him we are his children now in one sense the whole world is his children but this is a very unique sense when you are brought into a relationship with god the relationship is intimate and it's sealed by the Holy Spirit. It changes. You have received, it says in Romans 8, it says a spirit of adoption. You were made a child of God because you were adopted into His family so that Jesus is called
called your brother. Now that should be jaw-dropping. That Jesus, the King of kings, the creator of this world, the one who made everything, he can be called a brother. Wow! I mean, that's a change of relationship that is substantial. It opens the door as we get this new position of being washed, of being sanctified, of being justified, that the Holy Spirit is regenerating us. He's giving us life where there was death. And that was a big thing. Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night, a religious leader. And he's he's asking Jesus, he, he says, Jesus, I'm watching what you're doing. You are very close to God. And he says, how how does this happen? And Jesus says, unless you're born again, unless your soul is regenerated. Now, I'm not going to develop this because Pastor Brad's going to do it next week. But what that begins is a whole process of our affections changing. Changing so that I want to please God, so that you want to please God, so that you want to obey God, that it's coming from the heart. Before I was born again, I didn't want to please God from the heart. I was doing it out of duty. I was doing it out of rules. I was doing it out of being told. But when God changed my heart, then things began to really shift. So, If you pick this one, let me give you a couple things you might want to think about. You might want to meditate on your new position in Christ. You may want to take time this week and say, I'm a child of God. Show me what that means, God, in fresh ways. God, you say I'm declared righteous. God, show me what that means because I don't feel righteous. Right? Just meditate upon this kind of thing. You may want to Uh, Think about someone in the Bible like the Apostle Paul, a murderer, someone trying to go after and tear down the work of God. And he was changed on the road to Damascus. Meditate on someone like that who has been changed. Or meditate on someone like Mary Magdalene living a, a life that was just crazy. And God reaches into her life and changes her. This is the kind of stuff we need to meditate on, and I could go on and on, but that's number one. Number two is the power over sin. Our power over sin. Sin is no longer a master over us. That's what happens when you become a Christian. Not only is sin no longer a master, death is defeated. Paul wrote that the sting of death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But listen to this. Thanks be to God who gives us the victory of our Lord Jesus Christ. So death is defeated and sin Sin is no longer a master over us. I love the way Jesus talked about it. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is a slave to sin, right? When you give in, we become a slave to it. The slave does not remain in the house forever, but listen to this, the son does, the daughter does. So when we become a child of his, we are no longer there. He goes on and says this, so if the son makes you free, you'll be free indeed. It's the Christian with the Spirit that has the power to overcome sin. Perfectly, no. I don't want to promise too much, but I don't want to expect too little. We're free to obey God. So what stays? Well, 
we still contend with sin. It's still the fight. Over and over we're told to turn away. So we know that sin continues, but it's no longer our master. And Paul said in Romans chapter 7, the one thing I do, doing it, so now, no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. It's not that we blame sin, he's personifying sin, but he's saying that the willing is present in me. There's still this sense of the sin that's at work, that's dwelling in us. So if you pick the power of sin, here's what I would recommend. If God points out a particular sin, repent of it. Some of us do not believe how powerful sin is. We need to turn away from it. And some of us are addicted to certain sins. If you are, get help. Get help. If you need to get professional help, get help. And you know what I'm talking about. If you're addicted to porn, if you're addicted to alcohol, if you're addicted to drugs, if you're addicted to sex, if you're whatever these things are, get help. Don't doubt the power of sin, but believe that the power of God is greater than the power of sin. And that's the hope that is in us, right? If you pick this one, invite a friend into your life and open up this area of your life. You are living on thin ice if you don't open this area up. You are fooling yourself to believe that sin is not as powerful as it is. Bring other people into it. Someone you can trust, not someone that's going to spread everything. And then spend more time in the Word. The Word of God is powerful. Let me hit the third one briefly here. Our purpose for living changes. The Holy Spirit changes us and changes everything that we're about. And so when I said that I was changed, I'm telling you that God put me on a whole new trajectory. And that was because when He was raised from the dead, He said, I have new resurrection life for you. We've been raised with Christ. That's what's so powerful. It says in Romans 6, 4, it says, as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so too might we walk in newness of life. We need to believe that God is doing this. He's given us a whole new destiny. Now, let me just answer. Why is change so hard? Well, I've hinted at a couple of them. Let me give you the ones. Change is so difficult, first of all, because we don't understand the power of sin. And we try to fight sin without spiritual weaponry. Spiritual weaponry means you've got to be in a community of people. It means that you've got to be in the Word of God. It means you've got to be relying on the power of the Holy Spirit. If you try to fight sin in the flesh, you will lose. Did you hear that? If you try to fight sin in the flesh by your own abilities, going to just a counselor, trying to just muscle your way through AA as good as all these things are if you're doing it without the help of God you will fail we don't understand the power of sin we underestimate the power of sin what it is no longer our master even though it still barks orders and it's loud here's a second why it's so difficult we don't understand the role of suffering I wanted to develop this point. I was fighting to get this in and spend more time. The second pastor I got the privilege of hiring was one of the harder decisions I had to make because he was 29 years old and he had cancer. And it was like, do you hire a guy when you need help with cancer? And God just made it so clear 
so clear, you need this guy. I thought we needed him. Then I realized it was God using him in my life. He died three years later. The last message he gave, about a week, a little more before he died, he gave the message out of Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. God has given all of us two gifts. One of them is to believe. The other is to suffer. It's been granted to you to suffer. I am as soft and as indulgent as anyone in the 21st century. I hate pain. I hate suffering. I hate all of it. But God calls us and we underestimate it. And God uses suffering to change us. And so if we resist suffering, we're going to resist change. Chew on that one. Third one is we don't understand the times in which we live. We sometimes think because our citizenship is in heaven, we're in heaven. (laughs) And we don't realize that this is God's work at this time in history. That we're not quite there. We're not there. And God has this season of life, and sometimes we expect more than God's promised, and sometimes too little. We're trying to fall in that middle place. We need to see where we are in the time frame of God's work. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that you change us and transform us, that you're powerful. So God, we want to change. We wouldn't be here if we didn't want to change. So we ask for your grace and your power over the next couple of weeks to spend time with you. Learning about change and to change those things you want to change. Not the things we want, God, but the things you want to change so that we can enjoy you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, when you came in this morning, you should have received some elements for communion. I want to take some time because the gospel is all about the Lord's Supper. Jesus gathered his disciples and as he was bringing them together, he was talking about a a plan that he had to change us and transform us into his image. But this couldn't even begin to get started until his death and resurrection When I say couldn't begin, I mean in a powerful way with the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wouldn't come until after. So when we take the bread, Paul said of first importance, Christ, the Messiah, right? He died for our sins. His body was broken. So on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread, he broke it, and he said, this is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. Just take a moment and just dwell on what God is doing right now. We've been talking about the good news, the gospel. We know that without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of sin. The hold that's been on our heart is sin. The world has no answer, no other religion. It's the power of Jesus Christ. So when we drink this cup, something deeply spiritual is happening. 
something deep and mighty in the work of God is He's extending grace to those who have trusted Him. He's opening the door for real transformation where we can find freedom from sin and the power of sin, where we can see the sting of death removed. So when you drink this, you need to be mindful that many, many things are happening, washing us, sanctifying us, justifying us, adopting us. So on the night that he was betrayed, he took the cup and he said, as often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. Let's take it together. So Father, we thank you for sending your son, your one and only son, to come and dwell among us. That God, we're no different than the people of the first century and your son just lives among us. (laughs) He lives among us to change us, to transform us so that we can enjoy his father forever. Thank you for that beautiful truth. Pray in Jesus' name, amen.